Please be seated. And our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those who remain uh, in person and on the live stream, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. We'll be reading this account of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Luke chapter 23. Verses 1 through 25. This is God's word. Then the whole company of them, these are the chief priests and leaders of the Jews. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him, that is Jesus, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. This is God's word. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, you have called us to be witnesses of the things that you have done and accomplished, even of this tragic scene. We don't know how to even understand it, much less bear witness to it. So help us, O Lord, in this time to better understand 
it is you were doing, what it is you would have us know, and how you might send us forth, Lord, to be witnesses of what you have done here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why did Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, have to suffer under Pontius Pilate? I've read with some interest about how all of these different movies from across several decades have had to be rewritten because focus groups that saw them didn't like how they ended with the bad guy winning. People don't like to pay a whole bunch of money to go to a movie, I guess, and have the person they don't like win. And Pilate, Pilate is not a guy that we should like. He is a brutal, cruel, heartless ruler. He had very little regard for the Jewish traditions and constantly found himself doing things that were offensive. He brought in banners to, into Jerusalem with the images, images on them that the, the Jews uh, objected to and rioted against. We read even in the Gospels of a time where he mixed the blood of Galileans in with their sacrifices. He was not a kind man. He was a brutal and cruel ruler. So why would God... Ordain a story, a series of events that would to come to pass where he himself, who holds all power and all glory and all majesty in his hands, why would he construct history such that someone like Pilate seems to win the day? And the Lord of glory, Jesus, is handed over to death. Why did Jesus suffer under Pontius Pilate? We read an answer to that in our Confession of Faith this morning from the Heidelberg Catechism, that he, being innocent, might be condemned by the temporal judge and therefore deliver us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed. And in fact, there may be no better, more concise answer to this question than that. So we're going to look at the the three parts of that answer this morning, looking at how Jesus suffered, though innocent, at how he suffered worldly and temporal condemnation, and how he suffered all of these things in order to deliver us from the judgment of God. So let's look at these things this morning. We see here in the first five verses of chapter 5 just how much Jesus suffered even though he was innocent. The chief priests knew he was innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent. Herod knew he was innocent. And yet he suffered. Why? We have a tendency in our fleshly and worldly nature to appeal to all the wrong powers and to seek out all the wrong sources of strength. You see this taking place here. The the priests didn't like Jesus. He threatened their power and their hold over the people, and they wanted to see him done away with. And the, the best and most 
sure way to do away with Jesus, they thought, was to kill him. But they had no power to execute him. Only Pilate did. And so they sought an audience with the power that they thought would accomplish their ends. And they appealed to him in all these manipulative ways, constructing lies about Jesus or or twisting their accusations to make it sound like he was a threat to the Roman Empire because they knew Pilate could care less about this Jesus figure. But we found this man saying he's a king and, and, and and saying things that, that could be construed as negative towards the, the Roman Empire and to Caesar himself. Half the things they say are lies. Half the things they say are twists of the truth. And they pandered to Pilate because they thought he had the power to accomplish their aims. And in fact, Pilate did. He was the only one in this region who had the authority to execute But the thing about Pilate is he could have done this and it wouldn't have mattered. It didn't, it would have done nothing to uh, tarnish his reputation further or to uh, limit his rule or reign over the people. And yet, he doesn't want to take responsibility for any of this. This one who has all the power looks constantly for ways to, to just give it up. Well, let me release him. There's may have nothing to do with this. And, and then when he finds out he's a Galilean, he, he's even unwilling to take responsibility of that. He just sends him off to Herod. Let Herod deal, Herod deal with him. And all of this, those, there are these figures who have real authority and power, it seems, at least in accordance with the world. The chief priests, Pilate, Herod. And they're constantly trying to manipulate other power or not taking responsibility for themselves to use their power for good. But Christ, the Lord Jesus, who is the only one in this whole account who has all of the power, he knew where a cult was going to be. He said, just tell them that the Lord has need of it and they will respond. He has the ability to to make stones cry forth with songs of praise. He has the, the power to heal, to cast out demons, to call forth legions of angelic soldiers, to put to death any who would stand in his way. He could with one Thanos like snap turn Herod and Pilate and the chief priests to dust before his eyes. And yet... With all of this power, he doesn't use it for his own ends. He directs his power in such a way that he takes responsibility for us. He is working his power for our benefit. And maybe you don't see it jump out at you on the page here, But when you consider the the wickedness of Pilate and of Herod and of the chief priests and the crowds to call out for the crucifixion of an innocent man, to to long for, for a murderer to be released to them in his place, and it's easy for us to stand in judgment over them and think to ourselves, what terrible people, and not to turn the gaze inward and to look at ourselves and say, well, where have we done harm to those who are innocent? Where have we pursued 
illegitimate power? Where have we tried to manipulate those around us to accomplish our ends? Where have we not taken responsibility to use what power we have for the good of those around us? Where have we been guilty of great sin and wickedness and unrighteousness? How have we fulfilled all of the Lord's good commands? Or how have we broken them one by one by one? Yet Jesus comes humbly as a babe in a manger, grows in his human nature and the wisdom and stature of the Lord, walks on our streets, endures hunger and trial and tribulation, is accused unjustly, And yet at every step obeys all the commands of the Lord perfectly, completely, such that it could be said that even when he is standing trial, he is innocent, not just of the charges that they have brought against him, but he is innocent and blameless before God in that he is righteous and holy. And why would he devote such power to live with such righteousness? He's done it for us because we haven't. It is what theologians call the active obedience of Christ, that Christ has diverted his energies and powers to fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law of God that you and I have not fulfilled, fulfilling it for us on our behalf. Because he is a king the only king, the only power that is actually able to help us gain a standing before God that is full of peace and delight and joy and not full of condemnation and fear and judgment. And one of the ways he's done this is by fulfilling the law for us that we might stand blameless before him then would we serve any other king or any other power? And yet we do, don't we? There's always some idol, some thing that we begin to convince ourselves will help us accomplish our ends, that will help us get to a place where we want to be. And so we pander to it. Our idols are broad and deep. It could be money. It could be reputation. It could be your pride. and It could be pleasure. It could actually be a little statue that you think is, has some being connected to it that will turn the events of history towards your will. We serve all kinds of idols that can't really help us. Think think of how much of an idol beauty is in our culture. To the point that they have done studies where, where people who match a certain description of beauty get jobs out of interviews more than other people who might have more qualifications but don't look as good. Just think of how 
how much money is out there in the the beauty industry, how much we spend to, to help it, how much we put stock in the outward appearance, thinking it will get us access or approval or attention. And yet the scriptures tell us that for all of that, it can't really do anything because beauty is fleeting and charm is deceptive. In the end, these idols are just like Pilate, just like Herod, just like the chief priests. They are unable to deliver on anything that's good. But for us to submit ourselves to Christ would come at the cost of acknowledging that he's the king. That the things that we want are so often twisted. The things that we desire are so often for our own ends. That that we are the sorts of people that would rather have Barabbas than Jesus if left to ourselves. If it got us what we wanted. To come to Christ, to know what it means for for His righteousness to be given to you, for His perfections to clothe you, it comes at the cost of submitting to Him as King. What do you need to lay at His feet? What idol have you been pursuing that you need to cast aside that you might fall before him and know his real help for you. Jesus suffered, though innocent, because in his innocence, he accomplished for you all that you could never do for God. More than that, though, we see that he suffered worldly condemnation at the hands of of temporal judges. It's rather stark how quickly worldly powers who otherwise despise one another become united to destroy Jesus. Pilate did not like the chief priests and the chief priests did not like Pilate. The chief priests didn't really care for Herod, but he gave them some things that they liked, and so they put up with him, but he was not the most righteous king either. We read in the text that Herod and Pilate were at enmity with one another. They hated one another. These are, these are three groups of leaders that, that if, they, if you gave them half a chance, they would destroy the others and not think twice about it. And yet, in the face of Jesus, they come together. Here, Herod is is given an audience with Jesus. And rather than, than receiving Jesus as one of his subjects, given to him out of the hand of the Roman oppressor, rather than caring for him, all he wants to see from Jesus is a magic trick. And when he doesn't put out, he mocks him and tortures him and treats him with shame. Pilate... They didn't really want to have anything to do with this whole affair anyway. Seize the cruelty that Herod implements on Jesus 
having received Jesus back, now clothed in royal regalia and beaten beyond recognition and thinks to himself, that's a guy I really, really admire. Herod's cruelty and brutality become the basis for a new friendship between them. And finally, after listening to the chief priests nag and complain, they all get together and decide, you know what? It's just easier to release Barabbas and kill Jesus. Fine, have it your way. These are the folks that were so upset. They were so threatened by Jesus that when his followers were praising him and announcing peace in heaven with God, they're like, silence your, your people. We don't want to hear any of this. We don't want to hear anyone speaking highly of you. Jesus is a threat to them, even if they don't fully understand why. And if they hated Jesus, who was innocent of any transgression, if they were threatened by his power and his righteousness and his disposition. Why are we surprised when the world treats us the same way? And yet we all. And when the world despises and rejects us, we react by clinging to the same tools and methods that the chief priests and Herod and Pilate used. We want to grab hold of more power so that we can silence these objections, so that we can make life easier for us, so that we can put those who threaten our peace and good uh, nature and, and easy life to shame. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Isn't that odd? Isn't it strange that the one who has all of the power says no word in his own defense? Even when he's accused, are you the king of the Jews? That's what you've said. You know like, it's not even worth arguing with Pilate. We read elsewhere, Jesus says, like, my kingdom's not even of this world. You don't even understand what kind of a king I am. And if you did, watch out. That's the Jeff Ferguson paraphrased edition. Just be aware. Jesus has all the power and says not a word in his own defense. Like a lamb to the slaughter suffers willingly, intentionally, purposefully. He doesn't put his, his power on display for Herod. I mean, just one little magic trick and he could have been set free. Turn some water into wine. Probably would have made Herod really happy. But he doesn't do it. There are many ways that we could answer that question, but, but one of the ways is this. Jesus is demonstrating how real power works. We, we have this 
thought that real power is active and vengeful and mighty and like the earth is shaking and there's like blood being thrown down from the heavens. And, and certainly God can and has shown his power in such magnificent ways. But in his greatest redemptive work, his power was made perfect in weakness. What would would that mean for us when we face trials of every kind? When people mock us because we are Christians and believe such antiquated things? Or dismiss our morality as backwards? What would it look like instead of trying to lord it over them? We submitted ourselves to the power of God who judges justly and let his strength be made perfect in our weakness. I mean, so confused are we about what real power is that we leave till last the most powerful weapons that we have. We would first protest or drum up the vote or write op-eds or send money to action committees or whatever. And, and none of those things are necessarily bad in themselves, but we, some, we fool ourselves into thinking that that is the most powerful and most effective thing we can do. And, and we leave to last prayer. We leave to last faithfulness. We leave to last bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We leave to last turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile, and loving our enemies, even as they persecute us. And then we wonder why things don't work out when we rely on worldly power. What would it mean for us to see God's power made perfect in our weakness and bearing the fruit of love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Of being known as peacemakers, not culture warriors. Being known for being like Christ. He suffered worldly condemnation. No small part to teach us what the exercise of real power looks like. Because he suffered all of these things to deliver us. And and this may be the most remarkable thing that ties them all together. that, That when we stop and think about it, Pilate had no real power. According to Roman law, he had the power to execute, but why was he even in that position to begin with? Because the sovereign God of the universe who 
orders and structures and ordains all things allowed him to be there. He had no power. Herod, who who is Herod? Herod is basically an appointed king by the Roman authorities. They could take him down and put somebody else there if he wanted. The chief priest, what, what power do any of them really have in the face of Jesus Christ? And yet, we sometimes convince ourselves like they did, that we actually have power, but we are actually powerless. We are weak and frail. We are a breath and then gone. And yet, they thought they triumphed because Jesus was delivered over to their will, to the will of the chief priests to be executed. They got what they wanted. So they thought, ah, look, we have done something. We have, we, have, we have accomplished our purposes. Pilate thinks he's doing something political to, to curry favor by releasing Barabbas instead of Jesus. That'll give him some, some power later when he needs to do something he wants to do. But his, his releasing Barabbas wasn't in some act of mercy. It was just empty mercy. It was a, a political move. In all of this, they think they're accomplishing things. And yet they are seeing, they will see, that it wasn't their will that was accomplished. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to turn even their purposes toward his. His will, the Lord Jesus Christ, His will was to save and deliver his people, and nothing could stop it. If the chief priests had stopped his people from singing his praises, Jesus tells us the stones would have cried out. Like nothing would have stopped Jesus from accomplishing what he set out to accomplish. And so mighty and so powerful a king is he that he can take the the presumed victory of his enemies and turn it to their defeat and to the fulfillment of his purposes to deliver us, not just from the powers of the world, but from the very judgment of our God, who is righteous and holy and holds all people to account. So in his suffering under Pontius Pilate, Jesus clears the way for us to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords at peace with him. to delight in him and to be numbered among the people who sing his praises and his glory. We look out and we think all of the power and the glory is is out there in the world somehow. Whether it's in the weapons of war, whether it's in money, political influence. Jesus says, I, from the beginning, God has been accomplishing His purposes. Nothing's ever ever stopped that. Satan thought he had completely derailed this at the beginning when he tempted Adam and Eve to sin. But God even announces then that His purposes 
to have a people for his own won't be thwarted, and Satan's head will be crushed. Even in Israel, a people that he claimed for his own, who'd been enslaved terribly in Egypt for hundreds of years, God delivered them with might and with power to show that his purposes will be fulfilled. Here in Christ, there is nothing that the world can do or say or accomplish that will thwart God from accomplishing his purposes in this world. He alone is the king of kings. For that, to be a king who directs his power to help the helpless, who is willing to bear shame and suffering for our good, for a king that is willing to take all of the powers of the world and put them to shame that we might be lifted up in his sight, that is a king worth praising. That is a king worth delighting in. That is a king worth giving up everything to serve and to follow no matter what it takes, even if it means we follow him in weakness, even if it means we follow him in frailty, this is a king worth serving and a king worth praising. That's what it means for us to bear witness to Jesus Christ in this world. Not to lord it over, but to live out what it means to be his people in ordinary day-to-day things, that we don't trust the power of this world. Palm Sunday is a reminder to us that though the nations and the kings of this world rage against God and his anointed one, our king, the Lord Jesus, he reigns. He calls us to follow him and to bear witness to his glory and his power in this world. What will your answer be to that call? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us and equip us to answer your call. Lord, we are powerless. We are weak. And yet we find this encouragement that in our weakness, you make your strength perfect. Help us in every phase and facet of our lives, in every moment, in every stage, to lean on you, to find our life and our power and our strength in you. Abide with us, O God, we pray, that we might be witnesses of your kingdom and of your glory forever. Amen.